Before I read the scripture this morning, um, I was saved by these verses that I'm going to read, and I didn't know that I was going to read these verses, the verses I was going to read were going to be the verses that saved me, and I thought that I was a good person and that I got to heaven on my good works, and so I'm praying for some of you, one of you out here today that thinks that you are saved by being good enough. I'm here to tell you we can never be good enough. Our righteousness is filthy rags. Uh, but he, by his grace and mercy, the Lord Jesus, he's the one that saves us. So our scripture reading this morning is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in us in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We carried out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us who are in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is God's word. Thanks, Ellie. So last week... We looked at a moment in the life of Israel when they sought to make a fresh start. But they had a problem. Because of their history of living for self, everything they touched was contaminated, just like sprinkling dirt on a cupcake. But God did something amazing and decided to give Israel grace. His decision made a night and day difference for Israel. And this was not a one-off. I am happy to report that giving grace to those who don't deserve it is something in which God delights. Now, Paul is a great example. No one could have possibly predicted what would happen to him after a roadside encounter that left him blind. But Paul later explained what happened to him and what can happen to anyone, himself included, when God does a certain something. And Paul's explanation of the ultimate trajectory shocker is found in the passage that Sally just read. Now, I won't reread the passage, but I want to show you some befores and afters. So in this passage that she read in verses 1, 2, and 3, we get a glimpse of who all of us were before coming to Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. 
You walked according to the prince of the power of the air. You formerly lived in the lusts of your flesh and were by nature children of wrath. In other words, this is who we were, all of us before Christ. Dead, working Satan's plan, pleasing self is in the driver's seat, and we have an appointment with wrath. Not good. No life. We're disconnected from the source of life. We're going through life doing what Satan wants. No freedom. Life is defined by bodily appetites and self-centered desires. No greater purpose. And we know where this is headed. An appointment with wrath. No hope. But then verse 4. <laughs> what are the odds that such a prisoner of desire would ever come into greatness but God. And Sally, thanks for emphasizing because, yes, it's actually very true, isn't it? If it weren't for God, this wouldn't be the case. But God. The whole book of Ephesians, this is kind of a sidebar, you can boil each book of the Bible down to one sentence. And if you can accomplish that, then you understand the Bible. Here's the one sentence for the book of Ephesians. If you know who you are and what you have in Christ, you will not live the same way. If you know who you are and what you have in Christ, that's chapters 1, 2, and 3, you will not live the same way. That's chapters 4, 5, and 6. And here's one of those places. Who we were, but God. And here are the four things that God did. He made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. The surpassing riches of his kindness was shown toward us. And we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. So basically, if you think of the contrast between the before and the after, here's the after. We are alive together with Christ. We are energized by a direct connection to the source of life. We are fully alive we are raised and seated with him. We are granted free access to the White House, only it's way better. Uh, I love the picture of John John as he's playing in JFK's office, and you see him actually peeking out from the little door on the desk. That's our privilege, except it's not just a human president. It is with God, and we have been given full access. Number three, we show the surpassing riches of his grace. We become a primary source of testimony to what God's grace can do. To look at me, to look at you, is to say, grace does that? And number four, we were created for good works. We become an asset, not a liability to others. Inestimable value. Before, we were a liability. Now, we're an asset. We were dead. Now, we're alive. We were working Satan's plan. Now, we're raised up and seated with him. Desire was in the driver's seat. Now, we're showcasing grace. We had an appointment with wrath. Now, we have been designed to accomplish good. That is who we are and what we have in Christ. We are fully alive. We have incredible privilege. We have profound significance. We have inestimable value. How is it possible 
for such lost causes to enjoy such incredible privilege? Well, the clues are in the passage that Sally read. Now, again, I'm not going to read the whole passage. I'm just going to highlight the phrases. What's the explanation for this? God, rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, by grace you have been saved. Later, the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us. Later, it is the gift of God. Point? There is but one explanation. There is one explanation. God being rich in mercy, great in love, full of grace and kindness, has chosen to give us an incomparable gift. And this gift is the ultimate trajectory changer. You look at where our lives were going. Look at where Paul's life was going. And then when God gives this grace package, it so changes. And I'm going to call this the grace package. Now, you'll understand more as we go along, why I'm calling it the grace package, because there is an amazing inventory of stuff to be found in this package. Now, this is what happened to Paul. In 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16, Paul reports, because he says, the grace of our Lord was more than abundant, verse 14, and here's what happened. Grace took one of the foremost sinners of all time, that's what he told us. A blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor, and made such a one into Jesus' devoted and faithful servant. How is that possible? He tells us the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. So let's get an overview of this thing called the grace package. I want you to understand something because we often focus on just one aspect of it. Grace saves. There is no question about that through faith. Uh, in the passage we read, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's very familiar to us. But what I want to do this morning is to kind of expand your sense of what this grace is. Grace saves us, no doubt about it. But that is just the beginning. I know it's amazing, an amazing beginning, but that is just the start of what it does. So I'm going to show you several passages that are going to help you to understand the breadth of what grace does and why I'm calling it the grace package. Yes, grace saves, but grace empowers Here's Hebrews 13, 9. It says this, Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good, listen to this, for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. As some of you know, in 2018, I had a heart attack. It was the real thing. I had a 95% blockage in the, in the widowmaker, the left anterior descending, and damage was done to my heart. The ejection fraction, the performance of the heart was not in a good place. So they had me, now they put a stent in, I'm fine by the way, it's all good. Uh, they put a stent in, but then I had to do rehab in order to get that ejection fraction back up into the, you know, the acceptable parameters. And by God's grace, I was able to do that. Ultimately, he did that. Grace 
does that to our heart. It rehabs a heart. God's grace is actually, I don't know exactly how it does this, but it is capable of changing a cold heart into a warm heart. It can transform who we are from the inside out. It saves us, but it also changes us. It empowers us. Grace, number three, sustains. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, Paul talks about this. He tells us about an incident in which God spoke to him. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what that was, except that it was a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times. There was, he said, Lord, please, can I be done with this? And he said to me, so here God answered him. Here's what he said. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. So Paul's conclusion, most gladly, therefore, I'll rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. By the way, do you hear what he's saying? I'm quite content when life is awful. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Grace actually supplies something. When we are going through deep waters... When we are facing an incredible challenge, grace actually supplies something that helps us to not just get through it, but to power through it. That's according to Paul. God's grace is going to more than offset whatever hindrances Paul was facing. And by the way, when grace does this in a thorny situation, the outcome more decidedly points to God's power. Yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of, of this when I talk to you. You know, I, on Saturdays, I pray for you and for me, and one of my prayers is, God, I got nothing. Yeah, I've done my study and I've done my stuff, but unless you talk, I got nothing. And I'm grateful for what God does. Paul knew this. He said, I actually like going into situations when I am in over my head. Because then when I see God do something, there is no doubt about who did it. Paul's strength could become God's rival. But weakness, it's actually his effective servant. So grace encourages him to say, bring on the limitations. I'm okay with that because that's what throws me into a place of dependence and that's when the God of grace says, oh, I like that. Want to see what grace can do? Number four, grace supplies. Second Peter 1, 2, and 3. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted. Now, the word granted there is the word gifted. It's a grace word. To us, everything pertaining to life and godliness. 
God has chosen to give us a gift. It's this grace package, and actually inside of it is everything required for living a godly life. You do not lack anything to live a godly life because of what is in the grace package. Also, grace strengthens. This is 2 Timothy 2.1. He says, this is Paul talking to Timothy, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Again, I don't know how it works, but God chooses to give me his unmerited favor. I don't deserve it, and that can actually produce strength that cannot be produced any other way. So basic summary of what we've said, grace doesn't just save, although that alone is amazing. Grace empowers us. It sustains us. It strengthens us, and it supplies us with everything needed for godly living. So what is it specifically? I mean, show me, Jim, how grace supplies the ability to do something. Well, that's actually what we're going to unpack over the next four weeks. Uh, now, there will be, next week will be Sermon 2 in this series, then Steve Winstead will be here, then we'll complete this series. But the other pastors and I will be sharing with you how does this actually work. But this morning, I'm going to give you an overview of how grace actually equips us for ministry to one another. This sermon series is an answer to one of our six challenges. This is about how to speak grace, to actually take grace and communicate it in your words. So I want to give you some information that's going to help you understand that. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. I want to introduce the concept of right-angle grace, all right? Because in this passage, what he's saying is God will supply grace so that you can give grace to others. This is right-angle grace. God has shown us grace which equips us to do good, to promote the good, even when it's not deserved for others. Now, how does this work? Is, you know, is it deeds? Is it words? The answer is both. But I'm going to focus on the, the word part. But I want to show you a passage that tells us that this can work on both levels. This is 1 Peter 4, 10. And I'm going to give you some Greek words, not because I'm trying to impress you. I just want you to understand this based on what it's actually saying, okay? He says in verse 10, as each one has received a special gift. Now that word is charisma. Now I need to explain something. The word grace is the word charis. Uh, C-H-A-R-I-S. In fact, it's actually used a little bit later in the verse. He says, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold charis of God. The ma ending, charis ma, means thing of grace, expression of grace, gift of grace. So you can really translate it this way. As each one has received a grace gift, employ that grace gift in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 
In other words, God gives grace gifts that are intended to be passed along to others. Vertical, horizontal. And this actually is an act of stewardship. I receive grace and I need to be a good steward of that grace by dispersing it, by giving something that is a right angle expression of that. And then Peter goes on to explain, because you're asking, so how, how do I do this, Peter? Glad you asked. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. In other words, you can use your words to do this. When God gives you something, you communicate based on that. So you can do it through words. And whoever serves is to do as one who is serving by the strength with which God supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So use words to throw grace. You've been given grace. Use your words to communicate grace. You've been given good. Do good. Basically, what he's saying is, I want you to serve others the way Father is serving you. Now, I've told you this story a while back, but uh, I'm going to tell it again because I didn't tell you the rest of the story, which I'm going to share with you at the end of the sermon. So just so you're up to speed, I will tell you this story because this story is an expression of this passage. So this is in a previous church. Make sure you understand me. This is not this church. In a previous church assignment, I had hardly been there for about a month or so when it became clear that the bookkeeper was stealing money from the offering. Now, he was doing it in a way that was pretty sneaky, so we had to put in place the things to make sure that's what was happening. But we did. It was very clear and obvious And so me and the administrative pastor confronted him on a Monday. And we said, it is very clear that you are stealing from God's church. And I am grateful that he did not dissemble, but instead acknowledged, you're right. And so among other things, Uh, We said, we want you to, in the staff meeting that is later today, we want you to acknowledge and confess what you have done to the staff and ask for their forgiveness for ways in which you have allowed the enemy to do a number on this church. And so um, he did that. And I was pleased for the fact that he was able, I mean, heartbroken, but pleased for the fact that he was able to honestly share and be able to acknowledge what he had done. That night, I couldn't sleep. And I, in my personal quiet time, I was studying the parable of the unforgiving steward, Matthew 18. And I just kept hearing this over and over, be like Father. Uh, There's one of the verses in Matthew 18 says, um, you know, so will your heavenly father do to you if you do not forgive one another from the heart. In other words, be like father. You have been forgiven. Throw grace. Give forgiveness. In fact, one of the words for forgiveness is a cognate. It's a word of charis. It actually means 
Give grace. Well, anyway, I kept hearing that over and over. So uh, the next day, we convened another meeting of the staff, and uh, the previous one had just had a small group at it, those who were there on campus, but this time it was the whole staff, and uh, he shared what he had done. He acknowledged in a humble and honest way what he had done, and we forgave him. And then I said, uh, I want to do something for you that is based on Matthew 18. Here's a check for twice what you have stolen from the church because I want you to be able to make restitution for what you have done. I am not doing this because you deserve it. In fact, I'm only doing it because of what God has done for me. And I want to do the same for you. And I want you to experience the grace of God. So, in this instance, God had blessed me. I'm not saying financially, because that really was a small piece of it. But God had blessed me by forgiving me a far worse than what he had done. And so, based on the grace I had received, I gave him grace. Now, there's more to the story And I'll tell you that a little later. But basically what this passage is saying is as each one has received an expression of God's grace, a charisma, as a good steward of the grace of God, give that to the people around you and allow them to experience grace. You know, the world, I'm not so certain that the world is going to listen to us because we're right. Because everybody's right. But the world cannot produce grace. I don't see much grace out there. We've got a corner on the market. We have been shown incredible grace so that we can give grace. In 2 Corinthians 7, 5, and 6, Paul says, Even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were inflicted on every side. Conflicts without, fears within... There was Paul saying, we were hitting a brick wall in Macedonia. But God, who comforts the depressed, I love that, don't you? One aspect of God is that he delights to comfort depressed servants of his. Comforted us by the coming of Titus. Now, God could have gone direct He could have said, uh, Paul, I want to personally encourage you. But instead, what Paul tells us is God used Titus. And Titus came, and Titus was the one through whose words Paul received encouragement from the God of all comfort. That's who we are. That was not just a Titus thing. This is who we are. We are called to break the sin cycle. You know, I do marriage counseling. I will often talk about when one party does what is wrong, they make it so easy for the other party to do what is wrong, which makes it easy for that party to again do wrong. And you're going down the black hole. Sooner or later, somebody has to return good for evil. Somebody has to break the sin cycle. 
And if you don't, that's what makes relationships go down the drain. <laughs> this is exactly what you and I have been called to do. The recipients of grace, even when we are given evil, to throw grace. In 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9, Peter talks about breaking the sin cycle. He says, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Get that? We're going to inherit a blessing. We bless. Our calling in life is to break the sin cycle by responding to insults with a word of grace. Those who have received grace have the power, right angle, to give grace. That's why we're stewards of grace. We've actually been entrusted with this thing in order to be good stewards of it. Now, I have to clarify something. We throw grace when we promote the true good of others. It, it's possible that you've been hearing me and, I'm, and Jim's saying I need to throw grace. I guess what that means is I need to basically say, whatever you do, it's okay, it's all good. A common misconception is that to show grace means to pretend something never happened. Now, I can forgive an alcoholic. Let's say I'm, I'm not, I'm not married to one, but let's say I was married to an alcoholic. I can forgive that alcoholic. I can even forgive that alcoholic on the 10th instance of their having blown it. I'm giving grace to that person. But that doesn't change the fact that that person needs transformation, needs to become not an alcoholic. Now, forgiveness can begin that process. Giving grace can begin that process. But you don't just say, ah, it's all okay. To just go on is not necessarily grace. In fact, grace means I am committed to your best even when you don't deserve it. Not nothing matters, but I am committed to your good no matter what you do. So we can forgive as an act of grace and then add edification. Do whatever we can to promote the true good of someone else, to become a growth asset. So this doesn't mean that grace is not the same as tolerance. They're very different in some respects. Grace is about deciding, I am going to give you what you don't deserve. Namely, I am going to help you to become more the person God wants in whatever way is appropriate. So in the next four sermons, we're going to focus on words that give grace. And there are different ways that we can do that, but this is the goal. Colossians 4, 6. This is actually talking straight to us. It says, let your speech always be with grace. In other words, everything I say needs to be grace-laced, grace-based, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. This is our goal, to be a people who speak grace fluently. That's what distinguishes us from the world. 
We alone are the stewards of incredible grace received so that we can extend grace and speak from grace to the people around us. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. See how grace and edification are working in tandem? Grace doesn't just mean I accept you where you are. It means I am committed to you becoming all that Jesus wants you to be, whether you deserve it or not. Paul desires the Ephesians to become a people whose speech imparts grace to others, and that's what he wants for us as well. Grace speaks edification. It uses words to help someone become more the person God wants. Think of this for a minute. When Jesus came, one of the statements that was made of him is that he was full of grace and truth. One without the other doesn't work as well. He was full of grace. He was all about speaking and doing what was not deserved but it was not untethered from the truth. In fact, if I untether from the truth and tell someone a lie in the name of being gracious, that's not gracious. Understand this, this is true of you in this room. If you know Jesus, only the recipients of grace are capable of throwing grace. This is what this community desperately needs, and this is what we have. There's two fundamental approaches to life, the merit plan and the grace plan. Sally talked about the fact that before this passage connected for her, she was living on the merit plan. I'm going to live pretty good, and I'll be okay. The merit plan will not work out because none of us merits salvation. And then there's the grace plan. I am going to choose to receive something I don't deserve, which is salvation in Jesus, and I am going to begin and continue for the rest of my life to unwrap the grace package and be a grace steward who gives grace to others. Those who've opted for the grace plan receive grace and throw grace. How they respond to others tells us how they want God to relate to them. You can throw grace or you can be a flamethrower. Flamethrowers also demonstrate how they want God to relate to them. And it won't work out well. Luke 6 says this, Do not judge and you will not be judged. And do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. I am going to throw grace because that's what I want from Father. And if I have received that, I am equipped. He has done something inside of my heart. My heart has been rehabbed by grace, which makes it possible for me to give grace to other people. Now, those who throw condemnation are saying to God, this is how I want you to relate to me. I want to go with the merit plan. <laughs> Pardon and you'll be pardoned. Given it will be given you, for by your standard of measure it will be measured to you in return. 
Recipients of grace throw, the, throw grace. Merit planners throw everything but. This is who we are. This is not what we do. I'm a grace thrower, not a flamethrower. So I told you the story about the, this guy who had stolen from God. And here's the rest of the story. So I gave him a gift from Rochelle and I, and he in turn gave that to the church. He lost his position because it was a position of trust. There were consequences, even though he was fully forgiven. And uh, I thought that was probably the last I would see him. As it turned out, that weekend was one where I was not scheduled to preach, and it gave me an opportunity to go see a church in town that, I won't tell you the town, uh, but a church in town, uh, not Memphis, nowhere near here, that was uh, doing a great job with uh, young marrieds, young couples, young singles, and I wanted to go see what they're doing. So I went to that church for one of their worship services, and... uh, there was this point in the service where they wanted us to say hello to the people around us. So they said, I want you to greet the people, uh, the four people around you, you know, front, start with the one in front, then the one to the right, then the one behind, etc." So I did that, uh, hi, hello, hi, hello. The one right behind me was him. Hi, it's good, you know, good to see you. Uh, how are you doing? They, have a commun- they had communion service in which you would go down in rows to the front and you would get communion. So as it turned out, he and I were walking down together and I said, hey, I would, I would like to take you to lunch. Are you doing anything after the service? And he said, no, I'm free. Great, where should we go? So we went to a place. And I had a conversation with him that was kind of, like, kind of like this. You have been shown grace. The way you will demonstrate that you recognize what you have received is by giving grace to other people. Are you prepared to do that? Now, I can't tell you how the story unfolded because that was an assignment that not too long after I ended up uh, leaving so I I don't have the follow-up story I look forward to hearing it in heaven but the point is you have been shown such grace and by the way what was done for him is nothing compared to what was done for each of us Jesus went to the cross he died Not because you're a good person. (laughs) Not because he thought, you know, I really want them on my team. They would bring so many advantages. We were all losers. And he died for us. Will we demonstrate that we are people who minister grace because we recognize the greatness of the grace that we have received? This is what you bring to this community. We are ambassadors of grace. Well, in the coming weeks, you will learn this. Every time God gives a gift, 
there is a ripple effect. For example, one of the gifts that we'll be talking about next week, Ken will be bringing this sermon, one of the gifts we'll talk about next week is God gives us the gift of conviction for our sin. He actually opens our eyes to our sin and that frees us to be able to say to someone else and give them a gift which is I was wrong. Have you been in a marriage relationship where your spouse refuses to admit they were wrong? Sometimes the greatest gift you can give are those simple words, I was wrong. God gives us a gift of conviction which allows us to say and give grace that says, I was wrong. God forgives and his forgiveness frees us to be able to give forgiveness to others. God gives us a new heart which makes us want to hear what someone else has to say, even when it's a hard word. God gives us his love, and he empowers us to love others, which includes telling them a hard thing, when the doing of that hard thing will promote their true good. That'll be an interesting one to understand. God gives us conviction, forgiveness, a new heart, a love for him, and those gifts make it possible for us to give gifts of confession, forgiveness, teachability, and exhortation to others. Bottom line is this, do you want to become fluent in the language of grace? Have you received God's grace? Then you are capable of giving it to others in word and deed. Maybe you've never received that grace gift. Uh, at, toward the end of the service, which is shortly, I will give you an opportunity. If you would say, you know, I identify with what Sally said. I've been operating on the live a pretty good life plan, on the merit plan. It won't end well when we get what we deserve. But if you want to go with the grace plan, there is a free gift waiting for you at the foot of the cross if you will step into that place by faith and say, give me grace. The only people on planet Earth capable of dispensing true grace, the real thing, are the recipients of grace. And we are proof that grace is real. So are you ready to be like Father? Get ready to throw some grace. Let's pray. If you have never accepted saving grace, you can do so by praying a prayer that is as simple as this. Lord Jesus, I deserve eternal separation from you. But as an act of pure grace, Jesus died on the cross for me. And I am accepting by faith right now that gift. And I am declaring by faith that my sins are forgiven, that I am your child because of your grace. For all in this room, I would love for you to pray along with me in your heart these words. Father, you have shown us such incredible grace by sending your son to die in our place. And you give us the grace that strengthens our hearts, that sustains us, that empowers us. 
Father, we want to, in the next four sermons, learn from you. You're an expert in throwing grace. We want to learn from you how we can be ambassadors of grace in a merciless world. Show us how to do that. Show us how to use our words and our deeds to throw grace like you threw grace to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.